This morning we continue our series from Matthew chapter 13. And there are seven parables in this sermon that Jesus preached. Some of the same symbols are in all of the parables. There is a sower, there is a field, there is a seed. Since it is one sermon, we should be consistent in our interpretation of the symbols. And Jesus interpreted the first two parables for us. Therefore, we should apply his interpretation to the next five parables. For instance, who was the sower? The Bible says in the first parable that a sower went out to sow, but who was the sower? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus went out to sow the good seed. In verse number 37, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the Bible also tells us that Satan sowed the evil seed. The Scripture says in verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So, when we are looking at the sower within the interpretation that Jesus gave, we know that Jesus sowed the good seed and Satan sowed the evil seed. The Bible tells us in verse number 38 that the field in which the seed was sown was the world. So Jesus and the devil then both sowed their message in the world. What was the seed? The seed that was sown in the world, what was it? Well, you recall in the first parable, as we looked at it, the seed that was sown was the message. It was the message that was sown by Jesus. It was the message that was sown by Satan. So in the first parable, the seed that was sown was the message, the word. Last week, we came to the second parable, and in the second parable, the seed that was sown was people. They were the followers of Christ. They were the followers of Satan. So it was people in the second parable. Now then, today we come to the third parable, which is the parable of the mustard seed. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 13, and in two verses we find these words. Verse number 31. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, why did the Lord choose a mustard seed for this parable? Well, probably it was because of the characteristics of a mustard seed. You see, mustard is pungent, it is sharp, it is biting, it stings. In fact, when King Darius, the king of Persia, invaded Europe, he sent a bag of sesame seeds to Alexander. This was a taunt in effect, saying there are many of us, that our army is vast. Alexander sent him a bag of mustard seed. In effect, saying to him, you may be many, but we are tough. You may be many, but we sting, we bite. Mustard is biting, it is irritating. In the good old days, or those days referred to as the good old days, before we had such access to doctors, there were a lot of home remedies. One of the home remedies I have 
heard about is a mustard plaster. Now, I have never heard had one, and, and you perhaps will want to give your testimony of, of having this applied to you. But it's my understanding with a mustard plaster that a piece of material is taken and that mustard and water are mixed together and smeared on that material. Then the material is placed on the person's chest. After a while, it begins to burn. It begins to irritate, and then the chest becomes beet red. I'm not sure that it cured anything. It probably caused you to forget what the problem was. But it is biting. It is irritating. Now, folks, the gospel is like that. The gospel irritates. It is biting. It is sharp. In fact, I remember a few years ago when Ted Turner made the statement that Christianity is for losers and bozos. Now, he later recanted that, but it is obvious in some of the statements that he made that the gospel irritates him. The message that we proclaim is an irritant to him. I have watched some interviews with Christopher Kitchens and others who do not believe in God. And when they are interviewed, it seems that their countenance changed when the subject becomes the gospel. And they are irritated by it. You see, our politically correct world is irritated by the exclusivity of the gospel. When we make the statement that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation... The world is irritated by that message, and yet that's what the Bible proclaims. In John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, that's not difficult to interpret, is it? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. According to what Jesus said, if one would come to the Father, then one must come through Him. That's what Jesus said. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, the Bible says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So that's what the Bible says. That is the message of the gospel. And I know that it irritates people, and when they hear such exclusivity, oftentimes they proclaim, that is nonsense. We are all going to the same place. We're just going in different directions. We're all going to heaven. But when they hear the exclusivity of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the only way of salvation, then there is irritation. The values of the gospel irritate people as well. I've watched um, most of the presidential debates and so forth, and anytime someone makes a statement about Christianity within the debates, there is an irritation that immediately is expressed. You see, the values that are proclaimed in the gospel irritate people. For instance, when we talk about respect for life, then we immediately see people becoming irritated and say, well, it is a woman's choice. When we talk about traditional marriage as proclaimed by the Scripture, people say, keep the government out of my bedroom. And so what I'm saying is that the values that are proclaimed by the gospel are like mustard. 
they irritate. Uh, not only do they irritate the world, sometimes they irritate we who are in the church, don't they? The Bible talks about poverty and that we are to minister to those who are poor. But in the church, sometimes we are a little irritated by that and say, why don't they get a job? And we quote our favorite verse of Scripture, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Now, I don't know where that is in the Bible. I suppose it's in exaggerations or somewhere in there, but, but it irritates us a little bit. I mean, I mean, really and truly, and I, I know it doesn't irritate you, but people in other churches get irritated by that. The Lord speaks about love, and when He talks about love, the way He expresses it sometimes irritates us a little bit. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you do that? Or do you just get a little irritated by that? I'm supposed to love my enemies and pray for those who, yeah, I pray. I pray that God might kill them. Pray for those who persecute me. Love my enemies. That's not practical. But the point that I'm making to you is that the gospel is like that. Folks, it irritates everybody. I mean, if we take the gospel seriously, then it is pungent. It irritates so I think that that's one of the reasons the Lord chose the mustard seed. It is pungent. It irritates. It's also small. You'll notice in verse 32. And this is smaller than all other seeds. Now, many have criticized Jesus for not knowing more about agriculture than he apparently knew. Because obviously the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. It could be that Jesus was using this as a proverb because there was a proverb during that time. When something was small, it was often said that it's as small as a mustard seed. And so perhaps he used it in, uh, in that way. But there is a sense of smallness about the gospel. There is a sense of smallness that we often see. For instance, in Matthew 17:20, if you have faith as a what? Mustard seed. Jesus said, if you just have a little bit of faith, faith as a mustard seed, then you can move mountains. So God has always used the unimpressive. He has used that that is small. And because the gospel is unimpressive, oftentimes it is dismissed. Because the gospel is not impressive to the world, then the world dismisses the gospel. Bob McAllister delivered a paper in, uh, at the Oxford Roundtable in Oxford, and he was telling me about it, that there was a speaker, another person who delivered a paper, and, and in his speech he denied the deity of Jesus, but said Jesus was a great teacher. And Bob said, since we are in the home of C.S. Lewis, then what do you have to say that C.S. Lewis said that Jesus upon what he claimed was either a liar, a lunatic, or his Lord. And the fellow replied, well, that's shallow. And Bob said, I've heard C.S. Lewis described a lot of ways. Shallow is not one of them normally. 
You see, sometimes the gospel, because it is unimpressive to the world and the world's thinking, it is simply dismissed. But folks, let me tell you something. The gospel might be unimpressive, but it is life-changing. Charles Spurgeon, as a teenage boy, went into a Methodist chapel to get out of the blinding snow. When he went in, he was taken back to a small Bible study. And the speaker taught on one verse of Scripture, Look unto me and be saved, all ends of the earth. And the seed was planted. The mustard seed was planted in his life. And he became a believer in Jesus Christ and went on to become one of the greatest preachers who ever walked the face of the earth. Just a small mustard seed, but it changed his life, that verse of Scripture. Lee Strobel was doing a study to refute Christianity and the claims of Christianity. And as he did so, there was a mustard seed planted in his life, and he became a believer. This atheist began to believe in Christ. Then he wrote the book, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. Oftentimes, God has used the unimpressive to change the world. The babe born in a manger... Nothing impressive about that. The babe in Bethlehem, nothing impressive about it. But it was a mustard seed that changed the world. The disciples of Jesus, just regular, ordinary men, but a mustard seed that went out to turn the world upside down. William Wilberforce read about slave trade by Thomas Clarkson. And the seed was planted. Later, he was sitting with the Prime Minister of England when the Prime Minister said, Wilberforce, why don't you give a motion on the slave trade? Unimpressive, small, a mustard seed was planting that changed the world. Slavery was eradicated in England and subsequently in the United States. A mustard seed was planted. Folks, I want you to understand that students, I was, I was looking at you this morning and looked out here and looked at the college students over here. Do you understand that you can give a witness at school? Perhaps you're the only believer in your class. But you can tell what Jesus means to you. You can live a godly life in your class. A mustard seed that can change your campus for Jesus. You may be the only believer in your family, but live for God. And you can be a mustard seed that changes your family. Telemachus was a hermit. He felt impressed of God to go to Rome, and he went. When he got there, he went to the Colosseum and found 80,000 people gathered watching the gladiator fights. He watched for a moment, and then he leapt from his seat onto the arena, in the arena, and implored those gladiators to stop fighting, to stop killing each other. And they killed him. There was a silence that fell across the crowd, because they understood that a holy man had been slain. But the games of death also died that day because a mustard seed was planted. Why did Jesus use a mustard seed? 
It's pungent. It's small. It's unimpressive. But it's powerful. Then there's a tree mentioned in verse number 32, and this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and and becomes a tree. Let me ask you, have you ever seen a mustard tree? And I can answer the question for you, no, you haven't. But some people say, well, you know, that's really not important because the symbol here is of the church. That Jesus planted a small band of believers, and it grew, and it grew, and became a tree. But others have questioned that interpretation because there is not a mustard tree. Ray Stedman told about being in Israel, and the guide took him to a tree and told him that that was the mustard tree. And if you've been to Israel, you know that you need to know your guide because you'll see a lot of things over there that may not be exactly correct unless you know your guide. He said, when I came home, I began to study because I wanted to know if that were a mustard tree. And there was a little black substance. They said that was the seeds, and, but as he did the study on it, he said the grains were very tiny, but it was powder, not seeds. It is just black powder, and it will never grow into a tree, and that wasn't a mustard tree either. Now, Jesus knew that. He knew that there was no mustard tree. The word that he uses refers to a shrub, and the mustard shrub dies every year. So how could it ever become a tree? If mustard dies every year, it could never become a tree. So if, if Jesus here is not speaking about the growth of the church, and he is illustrating the growth of the church, then what is he teaching in this? And that is the heart of this parable. What is Jesus saying to us? He is talking about an unnatural growth. He's talking about a growth that should not have taken place. He's talking about a cancerous type of growth. Now, what kind of growth did Jesus expect from his church? When he planted the seed, what was the growth that he expected from his followers? He expected humility. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus said, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. What kind of growth did he expect from you? What kind of growth did he expect from me when, when the seed was planted in my heart? He expected humility to grow there. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the Lord expected from us. That's what He expected to grow. He expects you to be people of, of joy, of gentleness, of kindness, of faithfulness. That's the kind of growth. But folks, that is not what occurred. You see, these words are prophetic words. And Jesus is looking for the growth that is going to come about as a result of the planting of the gospel seed. We look at the church today and what kind of growth has taken place. Humility. Gentleness, kindness. Folks, I'm afraid far too often that we have grown in pride and arrogance and selfishness. 
just to be candid with you. I'm afraid that too often in our churches that we have become very arrogant and very unlike what Jesus intended us to be. I look at the programs of our church and most churches, it seems to me that most of the programs we do is all about me. It's all about us. When I look at the budget and see how we are expending our finances, it seems to me that most of it is used for us. Not for reaching the world for Christ. I believe it was Dr. Oswald Smith who had gone to Brazil. He was being toured through one of the great cathedrals there. And as he was, he turned to the guide and said, how many missionaries do you support? The guide said, I really don't know. He said, the pastor's over there. We can ask him. Dr. Smith went over to him and said, how many missionaries do you support? And the pastor said, we support two missionaries. And Dr. Smith said, you support two missionaries? He said, yes. He said, then this church is a stench in the nostrils of God. What have we grown? What about us as individuals? We also have become so selfish and so arrogant and demand that that what I want be done. And we have become like John and James. We are more interested in position and power than we are in serving the Lord and in serving others. So as I read this passage of Scripture, I believe that the mustard tree that Jesus mentions here represents unnatural growth, not the kind of growth that is supposed to occur. Then we see the birds in verse number 32b. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Probably the most, in, most popular interpretation of this is that the mustard tree represents the church and the birds that are in the branches are the witnesses, the songbirds that go out to share the message of Jesus. I mean, that's normally the way that we see this passage of Scripture. But if we use the interpretation that Jesus gave us, then we're going to reach a different conclusion. And so if you look back in verse number 4, And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. So within these parables, the birds then are birds of prey. They represent those that take away the gospel seed. Those that steal away the seed of the gospel. Folks, did you know... I'm not aware of any that this is, of which this would not be true, but of most of the liberal denominations that no longer really believe the Word of God, no longer really believe in the exclusivity of Jesus and etc. They one time did. They one time did. Our most prestigious universities have a religious history. Harvard was to have academic courses consistent, quote, with the prevailing Puritan's philosophy of the first colonies. Yale, quote, was founded to train ministers. The sixth president of of Harvard resigned because he thought the school was becoming too liberal and supported Yale, quote, in hopes that it would maintain the Puritan religious orthodoxy in a way that Harvard had not. Princeton began with classes held in Reverend Jonathan Dickinson's parlor. 
And a number of our Baptist schools have also had the gospel taken away, stolen away. It grieves me when I look at Baptist schools and I know that they were established by people like you. People who loved God and knew God and believed His Word. People who prayed for those universities. People who supported those universities during difficult times. And now they no longer believe the gospel. That has even happened in our seminaries. The birds have stolen the seed of the gospel. One commentator wrote, Along came German rationalization and higher critical theories and socialistic philosophies. The Bible was overthrown. Another gospel was substituted and supernatural faith was denied. In many places, the birds of prey moved right into the pulpits. So whenever we look at the birds, we see then that they are those who steal away the seed that has been planted. In many of our universities, in our seminaries, and even in our churches. I am grieved sometimes as well when I look at our country and, 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 and I know that the great revivals that took place, the great awakening, awakening that took place, those were led by many churches that no longer believe the gospel. And so the birds came and took away the seed of the gospel. Let me conclude. The mustard seed is an interesting and insightful teaching tool. It, it reminds us that the gospel is really not that impressive. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came, that He lived, that He died on Calvary's cross. And as a result of His death, He paid for my sins. If I put my faith in Him, that I become a child of God. Simple. And because of its simplicity, there are many people who simply dismiss it. So it reminds us of the simplicity of the gospel. However, the gospel contains a power to change lives. And if we reclaim, and I believe this, and I believe that it is so important at this time, if we reclaim the gospel and we proclaim the gospel, this world can be changed. But folks, we better be careful lest someone steal away the gospel truth and we believe that everyone is going to be all right somehow. That's the reason it is so important that you become a mustard seed wherever you are and tell others about Jesus. Peter Marshall said, if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. Stand on the Word of God. And perhaps today... There's just a mustard seed that has been planted in your heart. You do not know Jesus, but you want to. Like Charles Spurgeon, the seed has been planted, and today you would say, I give my life to Jesus Christ. The invitation that we'll have in just a moment is for you to come. Make that commitment. We'll have someone to pray with you. Or perhaps you're someone looking for a church home. Our doors are open to you. Our gracious Father, we ask that you speak to hearts today. We pray, Lord, that the seed that has been planted some a long time ago might come to fruition today. Lord, bring people to the Savior. 
and bring people to this church. Father, may we be obedient to you during this time of invitation. In Christ's name I ask. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing. The staff is going to be here at the front. An opportunity for you to say yes to the Lord's invitation. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. Come. Trusting Christ as Savior, joining the church. Come. I'll greet you to do.